Before we get started with the show, there were a couple announcements that I wanted to make about events going on in April. First, on April 11th, uh, this is a bit of a local thing. If you're going to be around Madison, Wisconsin, uh, the linguistic student organization here at UW-Madison is having its workshop in general linguistics, and David Sallow is the invited speaker. He has an interesting talk uh, about in changes in conlangs, uh, diachronic and sound change in constructed languages in real and imaginary time. That's the, the topic. He doesn't have a title right at the moment. But uh, if you don't know, David is very active in the conlang community. He runs the Facebook groups and all that. And, of course, uh, he's well known for being the linguist consultant on the Lord of the Rings movies. And I think he worked on the Hobbit movies as well, getting Elvish dialogue correct. So that is April 11th. I will link to that information in the show notes. Uh, and his talk will be at 4.15 p.m. And if that gets recorded, I think it will be, then uh, um, I will link to that in the future once that's done. Uh, I know that there are working papers published, so if uh, his paper is in the, in the working papers or, or if it goes on to Fiat Lingua, then I will link to that in the future as well. The second thing that I would like to highlight, of course, is the 6th Language Creations Conference, which is happening on April 25th and 26th in Horsham, UK, uh, just south of London. And uh, I will link to the information about that, too, now, if you have not already planned to go to the UK or you're not, you know, in that area, as usual, the Language Creations Conference will be live streamed and I will give you the information on that as well uh, in the show notes. All right. Thanks. And let's get on with the show. Welcome to Conlangery, the podcast about constructed languages and the people who create them. I'm George Corley. With me down the road always is William Annis. Hello. And over in uh, England, we have Bianca Richards. Hello. Welcome back, Bianca. Back for her reunion tour. Yay! There was a little <laughs> part of me that was hoping, George, that you'd mess up and say Bianca Mangum just for, you know, old time's sake. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, yes, good times. And I even mispronounced that one for the few, first few episodes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I thought it was Mangum, and it's yeah. Mangum, and then now you're Richards, which is much easier to do. Yeah, that's why I went with Richards, because, you know, you just tell people Richards, and I'm not like, how do you spell that? <laughs> so, uh, 
Today we're going to talk about obviation, but uh, before we get into the episode, uh, I want to make a note. Our Patreon, uh, if you don't know, we you can support us on Patreon. Just give us uh, uh, a few bucks every month, and uh, we uh, have some goals up there for, for our funding. Um, we're up to $63 a month, which is over halfway, almost two-thirds of the way to our first goal where I would be uh, redoing the website. So that is a great thing. And you can go to conlangery. No, go to patreon.com slash conlangery, and you can you can uh, pledge to that. So, uh, woohoo! Yay! Woo-hoo. Be getting money. Thank you, everyone who's donated. Yes. And, uh... So uh, let's start on our topic today, which is obviation. So just to, to get the, the basic thing down, the essential sort of idea of what obviation is, as far as I understand it, is it's a way of marking up third-person arguments in a sentence based on it's mostly based on discourse. So you'll have one argument that will be proximate, and that's unmarked. And then every other third-person argument, usually it's restricted to animates, but every other third-person argument uh, for, for our simplified definition is marked as obviative. And that it's... We'll get. We're going to get into all the details in a bit. But the basic thing is, the proximate is more prominent in the discourse. Uh, it it delineates, you know, where your point of view in a story is, or what's the the most important character in um, in that you're talking about at the moment. That sort of thing. Yeah, one thing that. I want to point out, and I have some papers in the document that we'll have linked as well, that focus less on obviation. The first time you learn about obviation, it seems terribly weird, and it probably does the second and third time you look at it, too. But it's really related to the same sorts of problems that every language has to deal with. This is just another solution. How do you indicate what is the most important part of a discourse when you have a bunch of third-person entities or discourse topics going on. Mm-hmm. And there are all sorts of subtle ways that this interacts with animacy, which George mentioned, usually it's only animate um, pronouns that bother with this distinction. Um, so topicality, subject, hood, animacy, all of these things come into play. Um, one of the papers I linked to looks at different kinds of um, systems for managing discourse and shows that Different languages have different ways of dealing with this, but the conditions in which this or that option are chosen look the same. Obviation, you know, high agency, high topicality, triggers one behavior. Low agency, low typicality, um, triggers another behavior. And those charts of when things happen look the same from language to language, even if the sort of overt mechanism is quite different. So... Obviation, yes, it looks like it mostly happens in, in fact, just one language family, um, but it represents something that happens in all languages. Um, 
and even parallels them pretty um, closely in other ways. It's just has chosen a different mechanism to, to say who who's on first and what's on second in the sense of, of what's going on in terms of um, who's important in the, the discourse at the moment. Yeah, yeah. It's um, so uh, since you mentioned uh, it sort of obliquely, the language family that everyone thinks of when they're dealing with obviation is the Algonquian languages. Yep. Uh, and so um, these are also the same languages where um, you have the, uh, the direct inverse marking, where basically you have a hierarchy of persons. And if the subject and object, you know, follow that hierarchy that like, I think for Ojibwe, it's like second person, first person, third person. And then, uh, I'm, uh, ob- obviative is under that. Right. I think, um, I don't know where the unspecified, but the obviative is under that. And I think inanimate is at the bottom, but, um, if the subject is higher in the hierarchy than the object, then it's marked as direct. If the, or it's just not marked. If the, if it's the opposite way, then it's marked inverse. Now, the the reason I point that out is just to clear that is that, you know, the obviative is marked on the verbs in these languages. Yes. And, in addition to the nouns. Yeah. And the obviative is always marked under the, the proximate third person animate. So that's sort of a, a, a thing of, um, and more generally, you know, we have a note here, you know, agents are more likely to be the proximate. Uh, although, you know, as you get to telling a story, sometimes uh, the proximate person, is, the, the uh, proximate argument can be in the object position. Right. Just as a function of how the discourse evolves. Right. So the rule is in any given chunk of text or discourse one entity alone gets to be proximate everyone mm-hmm. else is in the obviative yeah right that's when all of your verb arguments are third person once you've got a first or person or second person subject then your um third person animates can be proximate that is they're unmarked and that yeah. makes sense but there are probably from language to language details um that we're missing because i only have access to one grammar of these languages so yeah, and we're just we're 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 going sort of for an overall idea. Yeah. Um, I'm sure there's there's a lot of details. We do have um, uh, we do have some uh, things that deal with uh, specific languages. And um, one thing I want to point out is that like, so we're talking about the discourse, and you have one proximate argument. That doesn't mean like throughout an entire discourse you're going to have one proximate argument. And in fact, um, I have a paper here that's specifically talking about uh, Cree. And, you know, it's examining some stories. And basically, you can sort of break up the stories into different chunks based on which of the characters in the story is, is proximate. So, you know, this guy... He's, you know, going over uh, a 
a tree, a story about a bear that gets in some guy's truck and starts driving it. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, Native Americans do in fact tell stories about trucks and cars and modern things. It's not all, you know, mythical stories about coyote. I don't even know if Cree talk about coyote. I don't know what. Yeah, I don't think coyote got that far east. No, they they talk about um, the they have their own characters. Uh, but this is this is just about a, a funny story about a bear, and basically he tra- this this paper sort of tracks. You know, there's sections where the the bear is. Uh, where the man is proximate or the bear is proximate. And it's sort of, it's sort of like a point of view shift. There's even a a few where apparently the truck is proximate. (laughs) Okay. Because Uh, that's odd because, uh, so most of these languages, animacy is, is encoded in gender and truck has animate gender. So it can be, it can be the proximate technically. That's I don't know. Yeah, See, I don't know. I was exactly. thinking truck will be inanimate and therefore shouldn't have it. But I guess if it is, that's how it goes. See, well, there's always. Yeah. What? I was just thinking that I should have checked to verify. So in um, the, the language that we grammar, grammar for Blackfoot certainly talks about this. And while there is grammatical agency, uh, grammatical animacy rather, um, uh-huh. semantic animacy matters too, such that it is, you know, certain kinds of sentences are simply ungrammatical, um, even if the subject is grammatically animate because it expects a semantic animate. So that's interesting. So that's, that is interesting. It's, um, it's, you know, since like, I I think there probably is going to be variation if you look at a bunch of these languages. Yeah, because. You know, they all have animacy grammaticalized as gender, and they often have sort of weird things of um, certain things being animate because of cultural importance. Like, uh, I think Snowshoe in Ojibwe is animate. Uh, It would have been nice if we had uh, Christine on here, but uh, she didn't didn't volunteer for this one. So... So, Not to say you're, yeah. yeah. Well, I'm no expert on really anything, but but, but no, you're I'm like I chose this one because unlike a lot of topics with obviation, the really interesting bits are kind of more on a discourse level rather than just individual sentences type thing. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, and um, William, you had a lot more to talk about with different, uh, like what's more more likely to be uh, proximate and all that kind of sure. thing. Sure. So one thing that I just wanted to, you know, we've been talking about the obvious without talking too much about the mechanics. So let's talk about that briefly and then we can move on. Mm-hmm. Basically, you have two sets of third-person pronouns, the proximate mm-hmm. set and the obviative set. Sometimes, unfortunately, the obviative set is called the fourth person. You should never call anything fourth person because that's used to mean about three different things, none of them related. <laughs> so if you Funny want to enough, ha- I think that's how I found out about it. Right. Was I looked up this mysterious fourth person and I was like, what? <laughs> Which may or may not oh, refer well. to obviation. Um so 
But it's a full member of the system. It has subject pronouns that are marked on the verb, so there's separate verbal inflection, so it is entirely possible to have an entire transitive sentence where all of the third-person entities in that are obviative. Mm. So that's important. It's not just some funny marking on the noun that triggers something as obviative or proximal, um, but it happens in the verb system as well. In general, um, the proximate is preferred for agents, but if you have more people going on in the story, you can't keep switching. You may or may not keep switching around on who's the proximate. Um, so, you know, you may have a few um, uh, bouts of transitive sentences where the subject and the object are both um, obviative. Um, right. It's it's again. It's like point of view thing. Sure, it's point of view thing. And I mention that because sometimes, certainly when I first was learning about this, I wasn't really fully appreciating that you could have the subject of a transitive verb also be obviative. And suddenly, once you know, I learned that, it became much more obvious how this was a useful tool in managing more complicated narratives and discourse. Mm-hmm. Um, your demonstrative pronouns are going to take marking for obviative or proximate. Um, mm-hmm. Verbs and nouns. So that covers all of that. There may be some mm-hmm. word order funkiness, such that proximate noun phrases are expected to occur before anything obviative. And then, George, you've seen another thing that says that obviatives are dispreferred before the verb. Is that right? Uh, I, I sort of skimmed through this paper, but it looked like that was one thing that it was saying, that it was that the that in in East Cree, at least, um, obviatives are sort of dispreferred as coming before the verb. Sure. And again, that uh, makes sense. Topical mm-hmm. items and obviation and approximation have to do with topicality. You expect topics to come first in general um, mm-hmm. and everything else to come after. And that and where before and after happens tends to, you know, follow the, either the marking of the verb or some fixed point. So that makes sense again that the things that matter most come first. Right. And um, it is... Um, and you have you had some some things where you know you that we're talking about the topic of the sentence is likely to be the proximate argument. Yep, and in general is likely to be higher animacy. So a story about a bear and a human, the human's more likely to be proximate in general. Like Goldilocks. Like Goldilocks. Unless apparently the unless the, the bear is, the bear is bear capable is of driving truck. a truck. Yes. Um, again, <laughs> these are all general tendencies. There's always, right. you know, undo, you know, where the needs of the story outweigh general tendencies. And I, uh, George and I were making fun of optimality theory earlier because there's an optimality theory account in one of the papers I've given, um, which does not, you know, is exactly designed to deal with this idea. You have competing needs to be met. Um, and you go through and you do some sort of magic um, and out comes the the best solution for the context that you're in. Yeah, it's uh, well. I mean, it is the kind of thing that 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 optimality theory is is designed to describe. But you know, I have I have my views on optimality theory. <laughs> Maybe someday, if we if we ever de- if I decide to do any kind of theory rant in the future, I yeah, can, I just want to know where I the tableau are kept in my brain. All right. Um, <laughs> George mentioned the direct inverse systems, verb system. Um, that plays in the role in general. Um, if the subject is the proximate, your verb is normal. If the subject is obviative, you get the inverse. Right, because the proximate is ranked 
is is right. sort of higher up. And if you have two obviatives in your transitive clause, then you're typically going to default to direct rather than um, indirect, inverse marking. Mm-hmm. Um, which can be confusing because a lot of these languages have non-configurational word order. <laughs> so figuring out who's doing what to whom with two obviatives might be fun sometimes. Yeah, good. <laughs> um, um, what else was I going to say? And you can have who is proximate and who is not switch, not just from sentence to sentence, but you can even sometimes get it happen across a clause. So that's just something I ran into in my reading, and I thought I would mention that. You need, you mean like between two clauses, like yes. a, a main and a subordinate yes. clause? Yes, yes. That's weird. Okay. Well, it, I mean, like, so, sometimes that's how you organize the story because, you know, I, you know, fell down because, and then, you know, there's a bear in the story suddenly who matters more than uh-huh. I do for a little while in the discourse. So that doesn't make... Mm. And I don't know how many languages permit that. I'm, I would not be surprised to find that's different from language to language. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, oh, here's one mechanical thing that I forgot about. A possessed noun, that is a noun possessed by a third person, cannot be proximate. At least it can't be in Blackfoot, and it looks like that's true in a bunch of these other Algonquin languages. And that makes okay. sense. Yeah. The other paper that you, you uh, cited said that, like... It's preferred that the uh, the possessor uh, gets proximate. Right. Now, you can have uh, a situation where the possessor is also obviative, um, but in general, right. you expect the possessor. And that makes sense. And, and also remember, this is the third person possessed. My father is perfectly acceptable as a proximate noun phrase. His father mm. is not. Okay. Who's cat? That's yeah, mine. That's Sorry. Sorry, that's Oscar who's complaining because he can't get in the room. That's fine. <laughs> <laughs> He's a Siamese. He talks a lot. <laughs> that's fine. That's fine. Uh, we got cats. Uh, you have cats. Yeah. I don't have cats. Um, so, uh, I guess, do we have other particular things to talk about? We've talked about, you know, the role of obviative in, in the discourse. Um, I went back uh, because Pahran has obviative, and I started with obviative from the beginning with that language. And, like, I looked at my translation of the the terrible donkey beater story. I oh, wrote my God, the donkey beater. Okay, in an earlier version of Pahran, and uh, I made some... I think I made some mistakes in trying to use the obviative. Like, I, I, I missed some obviative marking, but it looked like I was trying to do point of view switching with obviative that seems like uh, what we're seeing here. But, okay. you know. Yeah. I think that's why I chose it as well, because uh, the one conlang that I really work on, or well, if I had time, would now um, use this obviative and inverse. And I just find it so much more fun writing the stories with it. Yeah, it's it's great. You can you can. Uh, I I I hope to. Uh, I've I've been writing more test stories, and I'm thinking uh, be interesting to to start translating those into it. And uh, so I just wanted to mention here, like we said, 
most of what we know about how obviation works is based on Algonquian languages. So to me, there's a question in my mind of could conlangers sort of play with this thing and try to bring, you know, see whether you, whether you can fit an obviation system into a language that doesn't have the direct inverse thing. It doesn't seem like it would be that difficult to, to do it that way. Um, Sure. I think I originally tried to do it that way, but then the direct inverse thing just felt like so much more fun that I added it in. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, I, I, I'd have to think about that. I was just throwing that out there because, you know, it's always it was always something. It does seem to like naturally fit into the direct inverse uh, system. I wonder which came first. <laughs> that is a question. No, really. I mean, we, there are other languages that have pretty sophisticated direct inverse systems that don't appear to have obviation. Mm-hmm. So I wonder, yeah. Hmm. And uh, there are things that are sort of similar to obviation, but not quite like it. Right. right. In other languages uh, that don't have the direct inverse. So it's just something to think about. Yeah. When I was reading through these papers, I came up with just a lot of stuff which was the opposite of what I ended up doing. And I thought, <laughs> that's interesting because it's nice to see it done another way. Except for one of them was confusing because their hierarchy was different from mine. And I went, that should be inverse. Right. Like what? Confused. Like give some examples of like what. what um, uh, I think for my hierarchy, second person. Is lower than first person, hmm. but there's it was reversed. Uh, yeah, Th- I know. That's, a, a, that's a, a standard switcheroo. Some languages put the first person pronoun at the tops, other put the second person the pronoun, yeah. and that seems to be associated with a politeness matter. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, Ojibwe Ojibwe does it that way. Is they have uh, second person and then first person, and uh, there there are extra things that people attribute to possibly politeness like the the way that you say i see you is like you don't have a conjugation that has a first person and a second person in 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 like things where uh one person is where where the first person is is doing the other one what you do is you have a passive oh you are sure oh yeah. yeah i do that quite a bit and and this is typical again the Algonquin languages chose this way to keep topical things and things higher up the referential hierarchy first, and other languages do trickery like you have to use a passive in certain circumstances, um, as, as you mentioned. So there are all sorts of ways to keep what we care most about in the right place. English uses the passive. Mm-hmm. Um, other languages do other things. So I was just going to mention, in terms of uh, those hierarchies, there are some languages where first and second person pronoun plural come before first or second singular. <laughs> so number plays a role in that hierarchy too. In uh, Yeah, yeah. And guess where this happens? The Pacific Northwest where you can find anything you're looking for. What a surprise. Yeah. I think there's, I think there's, I don't recall this perfectly and I need to go find my notes from my morphology class to, 
to see what I think there's actually like two different hierarchies in Ojibwe, and one of them has second person on top, one of them has first person on top. Oh yeah, I've run across <laughs> that. I yeah, think yeah, that's yeah. that's. Um, but what's the I split? know one. Yeah, I know one really funny thing that sticks out in my mind is that the um, the second person inclusive has morphology for both first person and second person on it. Huh. What's the so, split between the two systems? I mean, where's one used? Where's the other used? That's the question that I don't know oh, the answer to. And some, be... some, someday we'll, we'll, we'll go over the, the direct inverse system in, in, in uh, okay. detail. I think. And we'll, I'll dig up my notes on that. on that. Did we? We've done. I don't know. You tell me. I think we've done different alignment systems, maybe different morphosyntactic alignment systems. I certainly know we've but, talked about this subject in the past, but whether or not it got its own episode, I can't recall. I don't know. I think I think it it could get its own episode because when I learned about Ojibwe, I learned that you know the version of this system that you see in like Klingon is is seems like very simplified. Mm. I don't know. Maybe some of the Does languages really do it have that a way. direct inverse system. It's supposed to, I think. Really? I it's, know it has but it's like, But it's it's weird. <laughs> so. yes. I'm sure the one that I have set up is like the most rudimentary or the most basic <laughs> system you can get for it cuz it's not sophisticated in any way. I don't know. Yeah. It's it's it, it, honestly, when you when you when you look at it in 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 a real language in in a, a natural language, like you look at Ojibwe, Ojibwe's <laughs> verbs are crazy. So uh-huh. you know, you 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 end up with once you once you throw irregularity on top of all this this stuff that gets crazy. But anyway, we we're talking more specifically about obviation. Did yeah. we have any other like points? It's not. It's not necessarily a super complex thing. It just takes a minute to get your head around. What it is, obvious. and not only that, but I think for a long time, for me certainly, I was really uncomfortable, both as a conlanger and as a language learner, with anything related to discourse, because you can't just write a rule. See, that's why I love it, because it forces you to think about things rather than just going, this is this, this is this. And instead to have to go, well, in this case, you want this to be more important, so that'll happen. It's yeah. far more pragmatic type stuff, yeah. which no, I, I enjoy more. Yeah, no, I yeah, agree. That's all interesting and important, but it's really hard. So, like, this um, Russell paper that George links to that actually has the story of the bear, the man, and the truck, take a close look at it and just watch what happens and follow the narrative. And that will give you a lot of insight into what is going on. And what I love about the horrific donkey beater story is that <laughs> you have to come up with a tool in your language to manage you know, all these different discourse topics and who's central at any given moment and who's doing what to whom, especially yes. if you have a language that does not distinguish overtly different pronoun forms, right? English, we have he, she, and it, which gives us certain kinds of leeway. But if you only have one third person pronoun, which doesn't distinguish gender, um, then you have to come up with tricks to make sure that you're being clear about what's going on. And there are lots of different ways to do this. Obviation is one. Yeah. And and just to be clear, 
I just want to say, like when we're we we talk about the donkey beater story, you you can find I I can link to the episode where I um where I have that written up, but um so I just want to say I wrote the donkey beater story to be that way in order to make sure that people have a way to differentiate who does what to whom. It yeah. was actually specifically for for that episode because of you know we were talking about that uh that thing that specifically eventually i'm going to write a better story though because it's not it's not <laughs> about Guys, you the, should use my story it's so much worse uh but it's not about the, the the like the mechanics of the story the mechanics of the story work well for getting that kind of grammar but I realized in retrospect that the subject matter is just sort of unnecessary. Yeah. It, no, it has my subject a... matter is worse. Use mine. <laughs> Use mine. Really? Yes. I'm, I'll try and find it. Oh, it's so much worse. I can give you the short version if you want. No, is it designed to exercise referent tracking? It's not that long. I, it's basically the same thing as a donkey story. But instead of being a donkey, it's a person's wife. Oh, well, no! no in, the, in the donkey story, the guy does beat his wife. And he beats his son. So he beats everyone. He's bad. That's, no, that's, not, that's the thing. Is much, it's like mine is a much shorter, terrible know. joke. <laughs> Regardless. No, it, no. Ends, it, it ends with the, the, the... My story ends with the abuser getting punished. So mine that was, does not. Mine ends with a punchline. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah. but uh, anyway. But but this is another thing. I think mean, I mean, we've terrible got, story. Yeah, we, we've mm. got. Um, is it Gary Shannon who has all of those syntax test sentences? Those, oh. That's 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 a a very useful tool. Sure, but my point is, uh, we have mm-hmm. things like that that are great to get let you go through, and it, it sort of shows you how things are working in your language and might, you know, show you where attention needs to go. But there aren't, really, except for the donkey meter story and another one George has come up with, short things to translate that really let you know how your discourse management in terms of keeping track of multiple third-person things going on. We right. don't really have good material to test that, which is why um, I'm hopeful that George can come up with some more stories that don't involve abusing poor animals um <laughs> and if other people come up with ones please share them with us because i'd really like to to have more yeah that, was, that that would be nice i'm i'm trying to just build up as i as i get inspired to write some little like fable like stories just because i think just for a lot of things translating a story is good yeah because it's not just about tracking multiple third persons but um it's you know we were talking aspects. about we were talking about discourse like there's all kinds of things that languages do to do discourse definite versus indefinite articles that's a discourse function so is perfect have. versus imperfect um or perfective yeah, rather and, right um, aspect is an important role in narrative as well yeah foregrounding uh, and backgrounding and all what that are stuff. what is it existential expressions there there was a that's right. that's a way of introducing a new uh a new character, a new thing into the discourse. So, uh, yeah, those, there's, there's all kinds of things that you want to be able to, um, do that really, it really helps to have a story in order to, um, manage or, or some sort of a long text 
in order to uh, learn how to manage discourse in your language. Right. Yes. So I'll mention my last weird paper. The paper is called Syntactic Direction and Obviation as Empathy-Based Phenomena, a Typological Approach. So uh, by David Oshima. He talks about a few languages, including, I think it's Fox for is his example for the obviation languages. He talks about Japanese and different verb choices and mm-hmm. Navajo. And a really interesting language from the Tibeto-Burman area called Jingpao, um, which mm-hmm. has some very interesting stuff going on you should look at. So I'm not sure that um, I buy the story he's ter- trying to push in terms of his thesis, but he has so many interesting things to say about topicality and managing reference um, that I think it's worth a good look at. And it's not super theory-heavy, unlike some papers. Um, so, yeah. Take a look we have, at we have a few theory papers in here, but yeah, the, the whole... it's, you, you can get stuff out of it. It's it's like, and you know, I don't know. I'm I'm more comfortable with theory now that I'm in grad school. But you know, it's like you can take and leave things when you're doing conlanging. It's it's you know, just the surface descriptive facts is what you need to get yes. down yes. straight for conlanging. But sometimes using some certain theories you might be able to use in the, the background just to make things easier. But anyway, just to, if if you understand how it works. But um, what was I going to say? So that paper is talking about empathy being related to... An empathy hierarchy is what he's proposing instead of an animacy uh, hierarchy. And that makes uh, sense from some of the stuff we said. Like, So we have a quote from what's her name? Uh, Dahlstrom who's written mm-hmm. a lot on the Fox language, says the proximate third person may be the topic of discourse. The proximate third person is also usually the focus of the speaker's empathy. In narratives, proximate often corresponds to the character whose point of view is being represented. So that's a starting point for that sort of discussion. Yeah. So, yeah. Take that or leave that. I have a feeling that, like, you know, animacy and empathy are going to, like co-occur a lot yes i agree (laughs) especially when you're telling a story you know you you're going to like focus mostly on human characters that kind of thing yes but uh but again the paper has lots of data about actual languages and that's where the useful bits hang out that's very that's very helpful for i think that was the one i read the most of probably because it was the least theory one but it was just a lot of interesting ideas to work from absolutely Absolutely. I quite like the directionality bit mm. with some of the verbs. But yep, yep. Yeah. So we'll have links to all the the stuff we dug up um, on in the show notes. And um, uh, thank you very much for listening, and thank all the people who contributed to our Patreon. Yay! You're awesome. Uh, Yes, very nice it's very it's very nice, and I I am I am thinking ideas of, of you know what to do with that money. It's not like going into my pocket to buy me donuts or anything. It's like <laughs> I'm thinking about you know if we if there's any like particular books that we want to buy or like my my pop filter is getting re- very ratty. But um, so even if we don't meet goals, I'll have some some ideas about what to do. But 
if we can get up to that first goal, you guys get a new website that hopefully will run a lot better and look a lot prettier. So I'm a web developer now. Oh, okay. Yeah. Congratulations. Yeah. <laughs> maybe maybe if we get to that first goal, I could pay you to help <laughs> me out with that. <laughs> that might be nice. We'll see. Uh, so with that, uh, does anyone else have, have any, you know, we kind of strayed a little from the topic, but that's, that's not bad. But, um, you know, any, anyone have any last thoughts about obviation? Nope. It's cool. <laughs> I, I highly suggest people like read about it and actually really seriously consider it if they want to put it in the con line. It's there's, a lot of different things you can play with and uh, I think it if you want to do it it's going to be very helpful to you to start to think about it in terms of uh, of story structure and discourse structure and getting getting straight who is who's doing what to whom because that really is what Obvious is about is about um, prominence and discourse so uh, with that I'm going to say thank you all and happy Conlanging. Thank you for listening to Conlangery. You can find our archives and show notes at conlangery.com. Follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Google+. All of those are Conlangery. You can support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash conlangery. We would especially like to thank Ezekiel Fortzmender, our latest $20 a month patron. Web space for Conlanger is provided by the Language Creation Society, and our music is by Null Device.